Football systems check. Microphone. Check. Record enabled. Kate. Check. Michelle. Check. All systems go. I repeat, all systems go. We got a problem. We got a Copy. We have ball blast. I repeat, we have ball blast. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Welcome to the Ball Blast Podcast. Here to help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Kay Majuk, Michelle Majuk, and Jake Trowbridge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast. We are here to talk some fantasy football, help you get ballsy and win your fantasy football leagues. Be sure to check out Ball Blast Football and our website, ballblastfootball.com. Give the show a follow on Twitter at F- ballblastfb. And, of course, if you are so generous, smash that five-star mark. Help others find the show wherever you listen. Guys, I'm Kate. You can follow me on Twitter at ffballblast. And I'm Michelle. You can follow me at ballblastm, ballblastem. And I'm Jake. You can follow me at Jake Trowbridge with a W. And today we're going to talk about blasting some bubbles. This is a new article series that we're trialing out here with our Ball Blast football team and our writing staff. We're we're touting some uh, popular takes and we are poo-pooing them and we are saying why they are poo-poo. We've had <laughs> a couple of pretty good, pretty good articles. We did just have a very controversial submission this week by one of our our fabulous contributors, Brandon Schumacher, who said that Jalen Hurts is not a QB1 in 2021. So be sure to check that out. He also does our Ball Blast betting guide and the best ball guide available to our Patreon subscribers at tiers $10 and up. So yeah, you should probably check out his work. Yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to get into the nitty gritty here and we're going to make some people feel bad. Not intentionally, like in a in a nice way. Maybe we'll make some people feel good by saying this. You don't know. It's possible. Some people might be very excited about what we're about to poo-poo. And speaking of poo-pooing ideas, I am so sick already, and it's June 2nd, of this coach speak or media speak. I don't even know what it is. I guess both takes have come from the media more so than coaches lately. But the latest news today uh, of the Saints camp uh, is that Jameis Winston is not the Saints' solidified starter heading into the 2021 season. You know, you're kind of the talk of the town. Talk of the town. You're the talk of the town. Talk of the town. And this is a report from Nick Underhill from NewOrleans.com. I just, can it really be Taysom Hill that starts all season long? Is Sean Payton going to really get that cute? I would hate it. Spoiler alert. (laughs) I would absolutely hate it if Taysom Hill managed to be the true starter there. It's just, uh, it also wouldn't surprise me. We know how much Sean Payton loves Taysom Hill and wants him featured in every single capacity. So, that's the bummer. It's like, th- there is a small possibility that this is actually true, but I would truly hate it for fantasy. Kate, what are your thoughts? I don't understand how they could possibly continue to roll. I feel like Sean Payton did what he did last season because he had a very strong point to prove. He came out, he said it. 
Taysom Hill is our guy. And then, you know, he ended up having to prove that. Sean Payton, don't, I, I can't see this standing up for an entire year. I don't think, Taysom Hill didn't pass the eye test as well as I think his stats indicate from the time that he was under so center. It's so weird because his stats are actually just so good. But, I mean, the Denver game was terrible, right? Nine completions, 16 attempts, 56 completion percentage, 78 passing yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. But that's... And the the other games he had, really good games, actually. Over 70% completion percentage, over 200 passing yards, two touchdowns in two games. I, I think the biggest issue, though, when you're looking at that, is he faced the Falcons secondary twice and then the Eagles secondary, which is like, okay, those are some of the worst in the league. When he faced a real defense in Denver, he could not do a single thing. I cannot imagine that you can... Put him out there for an entire season, the quarter, the type of quarterback he is, and he would succeed. I mean, you can make fun of Jameis Winston all you want, but can he move a ball? Yes. 5,000 yards. Sometimes. 5,000 passing yards in his last season. Sometimes does he move the ball in the wrong direction towards the wrong team? Perhaps he does. But I just think he gives you a little bit of spark that, you know, the way that Taysom Hill is a spark for the offense. I believe in it, but in that limited capacity where when he comes in, he's uber efficient. Jameis Winston, I think, gives you that punch as a passer on a pretty continual basis. I think some better coaching could clean up his game, but I mean, definitely fantasy managers need to be desperate for Jameis Winston to be under center. Let's let's look at the splits, right? I mean, we've all talked endlessly about the Alvin Kamara splits with and without Drew Brees from the 2020 season. But I think we need to just go back and re reevaluate. Uh, let's look at his receiving yards with and without Drew Brees in the 2020 season. Average 12.75. Uh, that's a 16-game pace for 204 receiving yards on a season. He was on pace for 1,025 receiving yards with Drew Brees. That is not a slight split. That is a very dangerous little game. And again, it's without massive. Drew Brees, you're you mean with Taysom Hill. I don't think he'll be like that with any quarterback. Like with Winston, I think he would be all right. Uh, but with Taysom Hill, he completely died as a receiver and for fantasy. So that's our biggest worry. If Taysom Hill is the starter, he kind of destroys Alvin Kamara. But I I can't see it. And I don't think just because Taysom Hill started last year when Drew Brees was out means he's gonna be the starter. Like uh, They had reasons not to play Jameis Winston. They knew Drew Brees was going to retire. They knew they wanted to re-sign Jameis Winston. If he plays in those four games and he balls out, then you have to pay him way more or you can't even afford him because their salary cap issues were insane and someone else steals them, steals him. So I, I think it was smart for them not to play Jameis Winston in a season they didn't need him. Yeah, absolutely. I will just say I'm nervous for Alvin Kamara regardless because Jameis isn't exactly a dump-off king. Uh, but I'm, I'd be much happier with him, with Jameis, than with Taysom. I think there will be more scoring opportunities with Jameis under center. But I will give you guys a little bit of insider information. I, I was almost prepared to say that Alvin Kamara is going to finish beyond RB10 for my blast year bubble argument this week. But I I backed Ooh. off. I was like, the world is not ready for this. Um, so I'm <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put together an article at some point. I pivoted to save all of your souls, but the takeaway here is going through my projections. 
it's really hard to find a player that I do think is being more overdrafted at this point than Alvin Kamara. It's just, it needs to be said. But then so, also yeah. he could be completely <laughs> fine if Winston's the starter and it'll all be okay. <laughs> and then another storyline that's driving me bonkers is it, it feels like the Bears just want to shove it in everyone's face that Andy Dalton is the starter. Like it's what they've said even after drafting Justin Fields. And Andy Dalton had some interviews today with the press and he just kept answering like, yeah, it doesn't matter. They drafted Justin Fields. I'm the, I'm the starter. They brought me in for one year to be the starter. Nothing's changed. I'm the starter. I'm the starter. I'm the starter. Like, he was so confident in it. And it's like, how are you the starter over Justin Fields? If you say it enough times, it'll be true in your perspective. Yeah, he's the dog right now in that meme where the house is burning down. And he's just like, this is fine. This is absolutely fine. That's Andy <laughs> Dalton right now. If, I'm the starter. I'm absolutely the starter. <laughs> if the Bears start Andy Dolan over Justin Fields more than a couple games, then they're just asking to lose games for no reason. Andy Dolan was no better than the Chicago quarterbacks last year or the year before that. Like he hasn't been good for a long time. Comparing him to Mitch Trubisky last year, Mitch Trubisky beat him in every category in completion percentage by two whole percent, uh, in yards per attempt, in touchdown interception ratio, and passer rating by six whole points. Like, there is nothing that Andy Dalton did better, and he was passing to a much better receiving core and had uh, a, a better running back, I think, still, even though, you know. Montgomery made a step forward, but I still think Zeke is better. Like he had everything better around him and still finished worse than Mr. Bisky, who we lo- all love to hate on, who the Bears wanted to move on from instead of signing the fifth year option. Like, get out of here. You, I'm not even saying Justin Fields will be better. I think he will be. But yeah, he's a quarterback. He could have some issues, but he's not going to be worse than Andy freaking Dalton. Stop it. Stop it. It's driving me <laughs> crazy. I hate Hear that, Nagy. Stop it. I hate coaches. I hate teams. I hate stupid, stupid thoughts. That's like, I mean, they tell you, you know, I I feel like some people like to preface their fantasy football takes with, if we're assuming rational coaching, don't. Before my head bursts, because I'm angry from all of these coaches and their thought process, let's get into hate to blast your bubble. And blast other people's bubbles, you know? People who are really excited about fantasy takes this offseason, let's just ruin them. Let's just make them sad. <laughs> I have some good ones. What about you guys? Oh, I'm very confident in mine. Yeah, I, yeah, I, think- I mean, I don't want to be the guy who's, like, wrecking everybody's night, but I feel like I have some things to talk Kate about. Kate came in like a wrecking I, I saw <laughs> Kate's, and Kate's are actually nice ones. So, like, kind of opposite of what I did. I kind of went hard on players and Kate was like you know what these players can be good well no I was balance I was literally going to pick up our dogs at doggy daycare and Michelle called and she said Kate your hate to blast your bubble takes are way too nice well they're just the opposite of blasting your bubble you're like no because you know what I'm I'm looking at some other people and I'm saying these people are going to be way better than you're giving them credit for one, it's a guy you love to hate, all right? I'm going to give you a little sneak preview right, there. Kate's going to go first. You, yeah. You give your first take. Tell us all about your first hate to blast your bubble. I hate to blast your bubble, but Jared Goff is going to be a top 12 quarterback in 2021. Woo! Dun, dun, dun. Spicy. Oh. 
<laughs> I, I know. I know. It felt really icky. But when I'm looking situationally at what is going on in the Detroit Lions system, you know what I see? I see a, a team that's going to need to pass the ball a lot. Generally speaking, volume correlates pretty well with fantasy production, especially if you're talking about a guy, you know, if you're comparing Jared Goff, let's say, to some of the uh, other less mobile quarterbacks, if he's going to throw the ball a lot, I like that better than the guys who are not going to throw the ball a lot. But I want to go back to his 2020 season. All right. 2020 was a disappointing year for Jared Goff. I'll say it. He finished 24 in fantasy points per game. He had two other finishes since 2016 when he was drafted where he finished top 12. But yeah, he's been on a little bit of a downturn. I think we can say Sean McVay's offense in general has been a little bit of a downturn. But when you go back to Jared Goff's stats, it actually, when you're looking at what he did in 2020, not statistically super deviant compared to his other seasons where he has produced as a top 12 quarterback. He had the highest completion percentage of his career. Go figure. He had a low average depth of target, and that's been the issue. That forced down his, his yards per attempt, but, I mean, looking at just all of his, his stats overall, drop percentage, batted throw rates, all of these, these metrics, they're pretty much point blank the same. The issue is just that, yeah, he didn't throw the ball quite as deep. We saw towards the end of his venture there that they were not really thrilled and they were not giving Jared Goff the metaphorical keys of that offense. They really reined him in. They took the ball out of his hands. It was just a, it was a bad, bad situation there. But I went and I looked at what Dan Campbell was accomplishing in his career. He had one year as the interim head coach, 2015 for the Miami Dolphins. They ranked 32nd overall in rush attempts for that season, 17th in pass attempts, 27th in yards, 27th in points. Not all great, but you know what? 17th in pass attempts uh, to 32nd overall in rush attempts. I like the ratio there for that volume argument. And you know what? We are looking at a downgraded quarterback. It's not really the case. Michelle, I'm going to give you so much credit here. You pointed out that Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford have not had very statistically different careers, which is so weird. Uh, like, exactly the same. Career, yes, actually. like, <laughs> so, so similar. So for their career averages, Jared Goff has a completion percentage of 63.4. Matthew Stafford, 62.6. Pass yards per attempt, Jared Goff, 7.5. Stafford, 7.2. Pass yards per game, Jared Goff, 263. Matt Stafford, 273. It's like bing, bang, boom. They are like pretty much hand-in-hand hand the same player. We've Pass heard touchdown of- per game, 1.6 for Goff compared to 1.7 for Stafford. I mean, their, their careers are pretty much identical. The one area I'll say where Goff struggles compared to Stafford is under pressure. But the line should have a pretty decent offensive line this year. So hopefully that doesn't affect him too much. I think that's a good thing. And I know everybody's question is sort of who, who is going to be the primary receiver. He doesn't have any one given dominant target. And the kind of way that 
my stat projections for this team worked out. Like, do we remember Carson Wentz's QB one season in 2017 where, I mean, he just, he's really never had a career wide receiver one. It feels like TJ Hawkinson is the Zach Ertz of 2017. I have him leading the team in receiving yards, but Brashad Perryman, I actually have very close to the 1000 yard receiving mark. Should we, uh, should we name this a Jared Goff podcast? Are we getting 15 minutes per uh, (laughs) debate here? I was thinking more like five. We were so mean to the Lions a couple of episodes ago. I feel like this is due actually. (laughs) I feel like we owe this to Giants fans. I just think like when you're looking at the fact that, yes, I mean, the weapons aren't there. I think we're going to have a lot of hogwash outside of Brashad Perryman. I actually think Tyrell Williams could have a decent impact on the offense in general. TJ Hawkinson, he's going to be the guy. I just think that maybe we're discounting Jared Goff because there's no clear-cut fantastic weapons, but I think they're going to have DeAndre Swift involved. They're going to have Jamal Williams involved. They're going to force-feed TJ Hawkinson. I like Brashad Perryman. I think we're not maybe giving them as much credit as we could I think their offense could be better than we're saying, and Jared Goff is still going to end as, like, the quarterback 20 in fantasy. He could even do better than we think he's going to. It's just like, I don't think there's there's not many quarterbacks out there that would be a top 12 quarterback with Rashad Perriman and Tyrell Williams as their lead wide receivers. Maybe you look at it like this, though. He doesn't have to hyper-target one receiver, so he gets to spread it around. You know, he doesn't get in his head where, like, he has to go to an Odell Beckham type. He has he doesn't have an Odell Beckham type, so he has to look at all the guys evenly. Who knows? Maybe That's maybe true. that works oh, out Oh, you have to hope for a lot of garbage time. Like, the That's Lions exactly defense what should be garbage for. and they'll get a lot of... That is plenty enough on Jared Goff because... Uh, but I'm saying you are hoping on garbage time. You're hoping for volume because I don't think that they're going to be able to keep up in games. Again, they are going to need garbage time. And I do see it like I don't have any receivers with the Lions exceeding a thousand receiving yards in 2021. But I have a few of them that are right between that like 600 to 900 mark. And when I added them all together after each of their individual stat projections, it actually came out pretty nicely for Jared Goff, and I was surprised. So I have I'm gonna a give feeling when you finish your projections, Jared Goff won't be close to the top 12 in your own projections. Mm. I, I hope I, that he's top five now. Just out of, <laughs> I just want to see this go down. Yeah. He's no, at, I feel like this take is one of like my Marquis Hollywood Brown, like I was going to do last week, where I was like, he's going to be a top 24 wide receiver, and you got it in your head, and then you tried to make it happen. It's not going to happen. Right now, I, I hate to... Blast your bubble, Kate, wow. but your take is wrong. My uh, I think God, you're just you sipping that haterade. <laughs> right now, I have him projected for 299 fantasy points, which would have been good for a quarterback one finish dating back to the 2020. Yeah, yeah, season. but that's him playing all six, 16 games or Why seven. Why wouldn't he? Yes, but that's without everyone else playing it, too. So you would have to put everyone out. You have to go by points per game to see where he lands. You can't just go by what he's projected for over 16 games. Don't be cheating. Anyways, I'm going to get into a real take here. I can't here. wait to get back to I'm, this. I'm going to get into a real <laughs> fantasy take that will actually come true in 2020. J.K. Dobbins will not be a top 12 running back in 2021. Woo-woo. 
Now, I know he's not technically being drafted in the top 12, but it's close to there. And people are super high on him. And they believe he has like a top five ceiling. I don't think he has that ceiling whatsoever. Uh, Maybe he has a safer floor. Like, I still think he's going to be a running back too. I just don't really think he has that top 10 ceiling. And now this has nothing to do with his talent. I love J.K. Dobbins as a player. I had him ranked as my second best running back coming out of the 2020 class, right behind Jonathan Taylor. Like, I think he's an exceptional talent. The issue is he is going to have to be insanely efficient again, which he he was last year. That's great. Average 5.5 yards per carry. But he's also going to have to score 1 million touchdowns to be a top 12 running back. In 2019, Ingram was, Mark Ingram, was the running back 11, playing for the Ravens, playing with Lamar Jackson, so a top 12 running back. But he averaged 5.0 yards per carry and scored 15 touchdowns. He needed to score 15 touchdowns to just be the running back 11. Now, do we really think, like, that's pretty bold to be like, yeah, J.K. Dobbins is going to score 15 touchdowns next year. Like, that's a lot to predict for anybody, even for someone like Derrick Henry. That's pretty bold. Yes, he scored nine rushing touchdowns last year, but he had eight carries inside the five, and he scored on seven of those. That's not at all sustainable. So, yes, his carries might go up inside the five, but his efficiency has to come down. Like, he's just not going to score seven of eight. Uh, Edwards, Gus Edwards is still a thing. He's still there. Nothing's changing. He got nine carries inside the five. He only scored on three, but again, that can go up or down like that, that changes. And Gus Edwards is still going to be heavily involved with carries. He had 144 carries last season and six rushing touchdowns. He's going to still be there. Mark Ingram was barely involved last season after week five, like saw very limited work. He got hurt a bunch, missed a bunch of games. And when he was healthy, he still didn't play. And even from there, like Dobbins still never saw more than 15 carries in any given week. And from weeks eight through 17, that's when he got super, super involved in the offense for him, right? That's when they got him more involved. And he was still just on a 16 game pace for 194 carries. He was still only running the running back 19 during that time. And again, that's without Ingram involved. In the last six games of the season, he scored seven rushing rushing touchdowns during that time. He was still only the running back 12 in points per game during that time. He scored seven rushing touchdowns in six games and was still only the running back 12 during that time. And why is that? Because he got four targets and three receptions in those last six games. Four total targets Uh, in six games games that's his biggest issue is he doesn't get targets whatsoever he never had more than four targets in a game and he had two or fewer targets in 12 of his 15 games played zero or one target in each of his last five games of the season like his receiving work was insanely low and that's with everyone saying well the ravens had those pass catchers well don't you think they would have targeted him then right if lamar jackson only Mm -hmm. was bad as a passer because he had no one to pass to. Why weren't they using J.K. Dobbins? And now they bring in Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins, Tylon Wallace. They lose no one else. But now we expect Dobbins' targets to go up? Like, why would that happen? I just think with Lamar Jackson, a mobile quarterback who doesn't dump off the ball to running backs when he's pressured, he just runs it himself. Like, his ceiling is just too low for me, and he's going to have to score 15-plus touchdowns to be a top-12 running back, and that's not what I want to bet on. And he's going to have to be insanely efficient again. Like, 
He's going around Clyde Edwards Hilaire, Chris Carson, and David Montgomery. Give me all of them over him pretty easily. Absolutely. I was going to say, I thought he might be inching close to the Cam Akers, uh, DeAndre Swift level. Yeah. And if his ADP is truly up there, like I'm, I'm out. Like, I, I don't want him at that level. Even at the guys that you just listed there, though. Yeah, every one of them I'd take over Dobbins. Yeah, pretty easily. He he just keeps inching up and up because people are getting so excited. I mean, they see the talent. Talent doesn't always equal fantasy points. They see the fact that the Ravens have finished first in rushing for the last three seasons. And you know what? A lot of that is due to your quarterback, not your running backs. That's the problem. <laughs> it means less for the Ravens because it just it's not the running backs who are getting the job done. Yeah, and I mean you can't have it both ways. You can't say Lamar Jackson's gonna throw so much more and then, you know, JK Dobbins is gonna be super involved. It's like he already didn't have very many carries to begin with. How are those gonna go up? <laughs> like where is his workload coming from if Lamar Jackson is throwing more? I don't know. Jake. Move on. I'm so sorry that we both just rambled on forever. Give us your take. First of all, I want to say both were very informative, so I was happy <laughs> to listen to both of them. But mine is going to focus on an entire position here. Uh, it's a little bit more abstract, but it's something that I really want to hammer home for people because I've been the victim to it too many times to let everybody else fall into the same trap. Most of your favorite mid-round tight ends are probably going to bust. In fact, <laughs> it's very likely that they're going to bust because they always bust. In terms of where you have to draft these guys, let's say in the mid-round 6 to 12, anywhere in that range, right? Outside of your top two to three tight ends this year, I say three if you include Kittle in that initial tier, which I'm not sure I do anymore, but it is Kelsey, Waller, Ooh. and then maybe Kittle. Ooh, I'm cool. flirting with the idea of taking him out of that, that tier there. But regardless, let's say those top three guys there, outside of them, you're probably not going to be happy with any tight end that you draft before the very late rounds because that's how it ends up every single year. I look back since 2017, so just the last few years here, Tight ends that had an ADP of tight end 4 to tight end 12 finished at an average of tight end 16. Not Ooh. too bad, but the, the actual average of those numbers is tight end 8. So you would expect it to be at least somewhere close to there uh, if this ADP was truly accurate. Obviously, it's not. But what's really worse than that, because end of year rankings don't matter as much to me as actual points do... Um, but if we are looking at points, those tight ends between tight end 4 and 12 average just 9.5 points per game. We look at a comparison here. Tight end 23 <laughs> averaged over those seasons 7.2 points Oof, per game. That's right. Now, just a little quick math here. <laughs> that is just a couple of points per game difference. That is not weak winning points. That is barely any points for you to hang your hat on there. Uh, that's awful. That is saying that you could go through your entire draft. All of your teammates could take two tight ends. You could wait until the draft is fully over. Pick up a tight end off of waivers and hypothetically only miss out on a couple of points per week. At that rate, I'm not investing in anybody that is not, to me, a sure thing. And... I, there is always hype this time of year. And I understand because there's guys that I really believe in at tight end. And you kind of have to 
you almost kind of have to trick yourself into believing <laughs> in tight ends because if you don't, it's just so depressing to look at the entire position. So, you know, there's guys that I'm interested in in those middle rounds, but I'm not going to have them. I know that I'm not going to have them. I'm not going to have the Tunyons of this year. I'm not going to have Dallas Goddard this year. Hawkinson, I could see if you really believe in TJ Hawkinson because of the volume. Maybe you just want to bite the bullet and test it out. But I'd rather take that late round flyer like an Anthony Ferkser who's going to have maybe close to that type of volume just by necessity. And if if he busts, no big deal. I yeah. was going to ask you this question actually exactly about him. Do you think that the hype is starting to build around him and people are starting to notice and being like, okay, there's no other tight end there. You heard it here folks first. You heard it here first. I think by the time we get closer to redraft season and in the late August, like people might start pushing him up kind of like Tyler Higby last year and he could start going in the eighth, ninth, tenth round. Are you taking him in the eighth round if he starts getting up that high? Not a chance. Even if I am on this boat from the beginning, I'm not riding that thing all the way up to the <laughs> cliff of the eighth round. It's, it's yeah. not happening for me. He's currently tight on 24 in general ADP, but yes, that could absolutely improve. We should just shut up about it, I guess, because yeah. otherwise he's going to go right up to that level. But no, if that happens, I'll find another late round tight end that I will try for. And, and if it doesn't work out with those guys that you draft super late, no big deal. You cut them, you pick somebody else up the next week. You're not out anything, but you can be missing points in those middle rounds, you know, at a good wide receiver, a good running back, especially. And I'd rather have those over a tight end. So with this, because I agree with you with this take, do you go all out and you get Travis Kelsey or you get Darren Waller, guys that you know are going to be insanely involved and be great for fantasy. You get TJ Hawkinson, who's the cheapest. No, because that's one of those that are hyped right now. They're hyped right now, but and I think he's, he's legit. He's legitimate. I mean, he was the tight end for last season. Yeah, but what more? What more do you? It, it wasn't great. But you it, were going now, to it, draft say, him as the tight end for. Like, would if what else you, you believe want? in Hawkinson at that tier? Like, if you put Hawkinson in that tier, then I say do it. Now, for me, I don't think I'll get him into that tier, so I personally wouldn't do it. If you do, I would say definitely go for it. And to your original question, like, I'll do Kelsey all day long. I will take him at the back of the first round. Honestly, if it's my first pick, even if it's if it's not like the first two picks in the draft, I would seriously consider taking Kelsey my for the God. assurance that I get there. And I know that that's, that's a lot. I'm not passing up CMC for him, but I am definitely putting him on my big board of good decisions to hopefully make. Because he's such a difference maker and you can find running backs that, you know, break out in any given year. Like there's just more running backs and wide receivers who randomly break out that you can find later in drafts. Like there just really aren't those in at the tight end position. And even Kate says, well, if you drafted TJ Hawkinson as the tight end four and he was a tight end four, that's good. Like I don't think you're going to be happy if TJ Hawkinson's a tight end four and you're drafting him in the fourth round. I mean, I think I think the difference, though, is that there's a very big tier break, I think, from like tight end four and even tight end five, tight end six. I think that is where the tier break lies. And I do think that TJ Hawkinson is one of the guys that with the volume that he could be receiving this year could legitimately finish as the tight end too. I'm not willing to say he would finish over Kelsey, 
But I do think he has the potential to finish as the I, tight end, too. I think TJ Hawkinson, the more everyone hypes him, is almost going to have a Mark Andrews season where Mark Andrews actually had a pretty decent season last year for a tight end. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like TJ Hawkinson gets volume. And though. it seemed like a disaster. It is I, not just touchdown efficiency. Mark Andrews gets volume, too. Mark Andrews, you're banking on touchdown efficiency. I think the better comparison may be, and I, I, I'm not saying this for sure is happening with Hawkinson, but looking back over since 2017 with these tight end fours that go, you look at 2018, whereas Jimmy Graham was the sure tight end four, some of that was volume-based, a lot of it was touchdown-based. He actually finished as tight end 20. You go to last year, Zach Ertz, who was projected to be a volume guy for sure, tight end 27 on a points per game basis like those are the one those are the landmines that make me nervous so it's just a matter of like how comfortable and confident are you basically i think i'm if just gonna take looking, darren waller in every draft if we're looking at tj hawkinson the prospect it's so funny i feel like how these situations go because tj hawkinson was like clear-cut tight end one the guy ever he was kyle pitts extra light extra light uh, everybody wanted them some TJ Hawkinson. And it's so funny because he's had a pretty good start to his NFL career. And it seems like in year three, when you finally start to see tight ends truly break out, that's when everybody wants to dip. I know. I'm excited for TJ yeah. Hawkinson. I just think people are so <laughs> hyped on him that he's going to go higher than I feel comfortable I think I would much rather just get Darren Waller the round before because the difference in the running backs and the wide receivers from one round is barely nothing. Like, give me Darren Waller, who I already know is just a target monster and a beast, uh, over having to spend in the next round TJ Hawkinson, who is still a question mark. That's all. I love TJ Hawkinson. I think he's very talented. Anyways, uh, you know what I was thinking? What if Anthony Fersker is just like Hayden Hurst, where it's like they haven't been anything in their career, but they're getting this opportunity, and we think he's going to be It's very good. possible. Yeah, it's very or possible. Or like Austin Hooper moving over to the Browns. It's like, oh, this is going to yeah. be a great year for these guys. It's very possible. But that's why I say, like, if it's super late, I don't care about that, because if they bust, then <laughs> Yeah. Hate to blast your bubble, Jake, but Anthony Ferkser. All right, Kay, give us your second <laughs> to blast your bubble. All right, guys, this is another positive one. I'm sorry I didn't totally fit the negative vibe that apparently I am supposed to be going for here, (laughs) but I hate to blast your bubble, but we're not drafting Calvin Ridley high enough, and I do think that uh, he is going to grossly outperform his ADP, which is currently 24th overall. So he's essentially the last pick in the second round, and I think he is one of these guys that legitimately could finish wide receiver one in the 2021 season. The Jake, wide receiver one? The wide receiver one. Whoa. The wide ballsy up in here. Generally speaking, <laughs> I mean, looking back at, you know, top one finishes for running backs, you don't see a ton of consistency there. Wide receivers, those top five are generally more consistent. Calvin Ridley did crack the top five. He was the wide receiver four in both fantasy points per game and overall fantasy points. And I think we have plenty of reasons to believe that should be the same. Jake, you alluded to this before. The passing volume with the Falcons is just tasty deliciousness. 2018, Matt Ryan ranked third among quarterbacks. 2019, fifth. 2020, first. 
And in 2020, I mean, Calvin Ridley, he just, he balled out across the board, across the board. But looking specifically at the games where Julio didn't play, the splits are totally fine. They're nothing totally significant. But he was a yardage baller, baller with Julio out of the game. He did catch more balls with Julio out of the game. In those weeks without Julio, he ranked third among wide receivers in red zone targets, third among wide receivers in end zone targets. He was the wide receiver three. He ranked first in receiving yards, fourth in receptions, and five out of his seven games without Julio Jones ended in 100 or more receiving yards. He's going to absolutely have the volume. We saw his fantasy points per game production increase each season that he has been in the NFL. Now I just think he's a lock for the volume, and that's going to wrap him up as an easy, easy target in the first round of your fantasy drafts. I mean, the people going ahead of him, you know, I know we all like to go running back heavy in the earlier rounds, but like Cam Akers is being drafted ahead of Calvin Ridley. I think that's really silly. I don't think there's any world where I see Cam Akers finishing with more fantasy points than Calvin Ridley in 2021. I just, I think we, we've we seen the trend. It's all positive. 10.9 fantasy points per game in his rookie season, up to 12.7 in his second season, 15.7 fantasy points per game in his third season. I think you know what I'm saying here, guys. And it's all deliciousness. It's all fantastic. I love if we're really, really thinking Julio's on the move, I think this is going to be, be this this big season. Uh, again, in those games without him, he was on pace for 1,700 receiving yards. That's all I got to say. <laughs> that that's ridiculous. Wild. And that's and eight I games. Say, it's not just like a three-game pace. Like, that's, that's half a season where he was yeah, on pace for 1,700 receiving yards. That's huge. Like, I see DK Metcalf going ahead of him in drafts, and I I personally don't get it. I would much rather have Calvin Ridley over DK Metcalf just based on what you expect the offense to look like and what Calvin Ridley has done. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you here. Yeah, I... I think Kay and I love DK Metcalf more than like any wide receiver in the NFL, but I'd still like for fantasy, I want Calvin Ridley. He he'll be more consistent. Uh, you just never know what the Seattle offense is going to bring in any given day. Are they just going to run the entire day <laughs> and get it out of Russell Wilson's hand and drive you crazy? Yeah, there's wide receivers going right around Calvin Ridley or before that do, do not do not make sense. But even the running backs, I like shoot your shot on a Calvin Ridley instead of going with a running back like a DeAndre Swift or a Cam Akers, because I don't think any of them have the upside that Calvin Ridley does. And again, wide receiver, the wide receiver one potential. All right. My second hate to blast your bubble is Kenny Galladay will not be a top 20 wide receiver in 2021. Uh I just feel like his name gives him this hype uh, and people expect him to be top 20, but he's only done it once in his career. It was in 2019 and he led the NFL with 11 receptions or 11 receiving touchdowns in 2019. And he was still the only wide receiver nine. Like he needed to lead the NFL in receiving touchdowns to just be the wide receiver nine. He was the wide receiver 14 that year in points per game. So even worse. 
I, I he is so much just an efficiency guy and so touchdown dependent. He has yet to hit 120 targets in a season, yet to hit 1,200 receiving yards in a season. Like I said, he's incredibly efficient. He averages 16.8 receiving yards per reception in his career, which is the second most in the NFL since 2017 when he was drafted. But if we have to rely on efficiency and on touchdowns with Daniel Jones, does that make you feel good? Like when you think of efficiency and passing touchdowns, do you think of the name Daniel Jones? Or would, be, or would that be like the 35th quarterback you would think of, right? Come on. He would crack the top 20. <laughs> Jones had 11 passing touchdowns last year. 11. He had 11 mm. passing touchdowns last year. Now, I know he had 24 in his rookie season, which is a fine rookie season, but you can't just ignore that he had 11 passing touchdowns. Yes, he's going to have better weapons. You expect those touchdowns to go up. But by how much? I mean, it can jump from 11 to what? Like, what is it going to jump to? It would be amazing if it even jumped to 25. And how many of those uh, is Kenny Galladay going to get? Like, that just doesn't make me feel good. Um, I'm not going to trust Kenny Galladay in that situation. Daniel Jones attempted a pass 15 yards down the field on only 17% of his attempts last year, which was 29th in the NFL. Again, Kenny Galladay needs those deep targets. And I don't know if Daniel Jones is going to be able to hit him regularly. And you might say, well, look at the growth that Josh Allen had when Stephon Diggs came into town. That's the comparison I keep seeing. Like Stephon Diggs made Josh Allen better. Stephon Diggs was better with Josh Allen. I I just think that Diggs and Galladay are such different wide receivers that it's not the same situation. Diggs is one of the best route runners in the NFL. He was before he got to Buffalo. He is now. That's not Galladay's role there. Uh, Actually, according to NextGen stats, Galladay averaged only 1.9 yards of target separation in 2019. He was the only player in the NFL to average fewer than 2.0 yards of separation per target. So that means we're trusting Daniel Jones to get the ball in the tight windows right into Galladay's hands. Like that's something Stafford can do. I don't know if that's something Daniel Jones can do. Stephon Diggs gets separation. He makes the life easier on the quarterback instead of harder. I I just don't see this pairing as very, very great. And then something that's silly, but I think needs to be noted is he's going from playing in a dome to playing in New York weather. At home, like the giant stadium's not in a dome. It's going to be much worse weather. Now, they do have a kind of a nice schedule away. I think an away schedule, they get to play in a lot of warm locations, but the playoff weeks for Kenny Galladay are disgusting. Weeks 15 through 17, which should be the new playoff weeks with the longer schedule. He's in New York, he's in Philly, and he's in Chicago during those games. That's like the grossest weather games of all time. Like that's going to (laughs) be disgusting. And if it's snowy and windy and rainy in New York, like it always is in the fall and the winter, hitting those long, deep throws is not going to happen. I don't see a path for Kenny Galladay to be top 20. I think it's going to be a really gross year for him. I am not touching him in the third or fourth or even fifth round. I'm going with anybody else with a higher ceiling. I think a lot of it is hope for him. It's just you're hoping that the quarterback can make the improvements. That's the saddest <laughs> It is, though. I mean, you're so hoping, of course, that Daniel Jones takes a big step because because Saquon is back, because he gets the new receivers and, and, and all of that. So you really do just have to hope. But that doesn't make you feel comfortable projecting a guy into the top 20 based on hope. I might so, have yeah, him outside my top 30. 
I might have him like have an OBJ type. Oh scene. my lord, Ooh. OBJ. Oh my. Okay. I just need to throw Guts. that in there. The OBJ sucks. Hate to blast your bubble, guys. OBJ sucks. <laughs> All right, Jake. <laughs> I love how this to this point, like <laughs> your your takes have been so different. Like it's very much a bubble half full <laughs> versus a bubble half empty perspective from the two of you, uh, and it's been really fun to see. So I am going to continue my more uh, say atmospheric, my more abstract um, pokes here at the bubble. But I just want everybody to know that there is not going to be a James Robinson yes. in this year's rookie class. I know what happens every year when there's a breakout like that is we just go, well, who's the next one? I, I don't want to miss the boat again. I want to make sure I get it on the ground level of whoever that next guy happens to be. There is no next James Robinson this year. It, it's not going to happen. What we saw last year from James Robinson took a lot. So we finished RB7, which super impressive, undrafted rookie running back coming in, lit the world on fire. All the love and respect for what James Robinson did. But Robinson only became the James Robinson because, one, he was the lead back by default for Jacksonville. And two, he got an obscene amount of volume. So no offseason reports listed James Robinson as the lead back leading up to that season. They do not exist. I have scoured the depths of Google. It wasn't a thing. That only happened once. Leonard Fournette got unexpectedly, well, expected to some, but unexpectedly, quote unquote, released. He got waived. Divine Ozigbo went on to IR and Raquel Armstead, right? Everybody loved Divine almost as much as Raquel Armstead, who a lot of folks had held out some hope for. But he ended up on the COVID list. So there was nobody there to threaten James Robinson at all, at all. No competition. So he saw 86% of his own backfield's carries. By contrast, the next highest on that list was Derrick Henry, who saw 82% of the Titans' backfield carries, which makes sense, followed by David Montgomery, who saw 74% of his backfield's carries, third on that list. That is how rare hitting 86% is. Derrick Henry did not get 86%. Robinson also saw 59% of the backfield targets and 81% of the team's rushes from inside the 10-yard line, the money line, if you will, uh, where you're just begging to get touchdowns. So all of that worked for him, which was magical, and it was very fun to watch. And I'm not saying that, you know, a sleeper running back can't come out in 2021 and be a waiver wire ad for you and do really nice things for your team. But expecting that kind of thing to happen again, it, it's it's bordering on silliness, the amount of names people are throwing out right now to be that James Robinson type. Maybe somebody comes in and is the Philip Lindsay from 2018. That's, that's more likely and still pretty unlikely. He was the RB13 that year when he emerged in Denver. And again, a lot of things shook right. Like, if you want to project anybody to do that, you have to look at where the scarcest backfields are. Right now, that would be Atlanta and Houston because they're both just awful. So Mike Davis gets injured. Maybe Javion Hawkins or Caleb Huntley has to do a bunch. And, and they're not going to do 86% of their carries. It's just not going to happen. They can take the 60% lot 
And then hopefully you get a really good waiver ad. But yeah, no James Robinson this year. Sorry about that. Yeah, and people seem to be like really high on Javian Hawkins. It's like, why are people so high on an undrafted guy? A, like, relax. And he's 180 something pounds. Like, Mike Davis could go down and he's still not going to get the majority of the touches. Like, it's not going to happen. He's not going to be able to score touchdowns at 180 pounds. And then that Dokes guy from Miami, everyone's excited mm. about. It's like he couldn't beat out Michael Warren in Cincinnati. Uh, and Michael Warren is now, I don't even know if he's on a team anymore. He was on the practice squad for the Eagles. I don't know where he's at now, but if Michael Warren couldn't make it and he couldn't beat out him, it's probably not likely. Like they're not good. They're undrafted for a reason. I know some of them at some points do well, uh, but trying to predict who it is, is nearly impossible. So I agree with you. Yeah, definitely a harsh lesson though, because you're right. Everybody wants to get in on the ground floor they want to you know stake their their claim they want to plant their flag on the guy they want to be able to resurrect their tweets from may and june and say <laughs> ha ha and it doesn't doesn't often happen but i mean james robinson even when i'm looking at just what he accomplished at the collegiate level like he did a lot it was in the fcs not not the best competition but he was a very accomplished undrafted rookie. Um, right. I, I don't know that we can say the same for all of these maybes that, you know, just didn't totally have that big breakout. But you know what? I think we've we've blasted enough bubbles for today. That is our show, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining us. Let us know if we blasted any of your bubbles and if you have any bubbles to blast of ours as always, please check out ballblastfootball.com, all of our awesome content. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash ballblast. We have lots of awesome content just for our Patreon subscribers. We've got our exclusive Slack channel where we give on-demand fantasy advice. And of course, those Patreon members at tiers $10 and up get access to the Ball Blast Football Betting Guide by Brandon Schumacher. And it's Literally the most amazing thing ever. Win some money with us. Smash those five-star reviews. And we will see you next week. Bye, y'all. Bye, guys. Bye. Pew, pew. That's it for this week's Ball Blast Fantasy Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave those five-star reviews, and check out ballblastfootball.com for more league-winning advice.